Welcome to Season 2, Episode 12 of Weekend at Crombies. This month we'll be looking at Outland. Welcome to the final episode of 2019 of Weekend at Crombies. We close off season two with this film. Um, who'd have thought? Who'd have thought, Hugh? Who'd have thought? After, after the debacle of season one, volume <laughs> one through twelve, it really was. And season two, volumes one through eleven, that we would have made it we to made season it. two, volume twelve. But, but let's not get all, all dewy-eyed and nostalgic yet, because we're saving that for our Christmas show. So uh, this is all business. This is this is purely the business of Outland, and that's what we're here to do. But yeah. I, uh, before before you use my name, I should introduce myself for those who don't know. Um, my name is Hugh. I found out I was supposed to be something I didn't like. That's what's in the program. That's my rotten little part in the rotten machine. I don't like it. And my name is James Evans Esquire. You know what, Hugh? There's a whole machine that works because everybody does what they're supposed to do. Very good. And I think we also identified the, our favourite bit of the dialogue of <laughs> yeah, Outland. Yeah. And possibly yeah. the only actual bit of dialogue in the film. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm quite glad that you, you referenced the second half of that, that yeah. speech. because <laughs> Otherwise you'd have looked a fool. I would have. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we're getting ahead of ourselves. I'm sure our audience are in utter dumbfoundment. Um, but mm. we should begin. So we're Outland. Uh, Outland, it, yeah. You chose the film, but it's, uh, so we should lead us in. But it's 1981, I believe. Um, <coughs> it's 1981. And, um, and we, we, are, we are on the edge of the solar system. We're on the... Um, it's Jupiter, so it's more in the middle. Okay. We're in the fat well, middle. You know, Weekend at Crombies isn't the infinite monkey cage, is it? So <laughs> I don't, I don't think, I don't have to know about cosmic science. The infinite um, monkey cage. Well, yeah, it's that TV, it's that um, radio program with Brian Cox. Oh, is it? Uh, yes. See. I was about to say the infinite monkey cage sounds like a great name for a podcast. Has it been taken already? Yes, yes, oh. it has. Is it, our listeners... Do you think Brian Cox would trade with us? Do you think he'd take the Weekend at Crombie's <laughs> name if we can have the infant monkey cage? Well, given that, given that at the start of this um, journey of podcast uh, extravaganza, we went through about 20 potential titles for a film that were all, uh, uh, podcasts were all taken, including things like Real cinema. With two E's. <laughs> Other utter crap. <laughs> I'd be surprised if Infinite Monkey Cage wasn't taken. Yes. But given given that our listeners will presume that Hugh is the intellectual one of the uh, of the duo here, I think that I have just proven that I listen to Radio Four, and so therefore, by virtue of that, should be called up to the mothership when the Earth finally succumbs and falls apart. I don't think anyone would assume I was intellectual. You're, you're, you're clearly the, uh, the, the learned man. I'm, I'm the voice of the populace. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I'll take that. Um, yeah, we, we had presumed that we would be quite quick with this synopsis, but we haven't even started yet. <laughs> we're going on for ten minutes. Um, right, so... It is Christmas we're, we're, Okay, we're in... We're, we are central solar system. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and we're... we're 
we're on the um, we're on the, the the moon of Io, Jupiter's moon of Io. I must point out um, that they they were good enough to to show us how to pronounce Io. Yeah, E Y E hyphen O. Io, of which you'd think, why are they doing that? And it turns out that the film Outland was supposed to be called the F- Io, um, mm. but it turned out people thought it was either ten or low. <laughs> When I say people, I mean American test audience. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. I, and apologies to our American do, viewers. Yeah, I, I do. I do apologise to our American listener. Yeah. Um, so we're we're on we're on IO, and uh, we we are um, we're in the company of um, a kind of a, a, a mining uh, organisation. Yeah, they mine operate. titanium. There's several thousand miners yeah. digging yeah. out, um, and there's an administration as well. So it's a and when we say it's 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 space, it's that kind of um, that near future space <coughs> when everything is still. They wear spacesuits. It's rough and ready. It's almost recognisable. They there's no kind of blue collar. It's blue collar space. Blue collar space. space. Yeah. I mean the best yeah. way of saying it, it's 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 more it owes more to Alien than it does to say um, two thousand one. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's much much more of that Alien kind of of look to it. So the the company is rather ridiculously called Conglomerates Amalgamated. <laughs> <laughs> it's by the worst name. Like, what's two words that sound kind of steely and titanium-y? We will get on to the, this later on, but a lot of the names of people especially are on the nose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, we... What, what I'm going to do with the synopsis is not go into the detail, but give a kind of general arc of the film, effectively. Okay. So we, we, we join... Um, we join uh, a new federal marshal who's who's um, who's uh, joined the, the the mining communicate uh, community. William O'Neill, played by Sean Connery. Cue uh, many um, uh, impressions by Cue. Uh, I will await the first one, but you know, let's let's it, it should be exciting. I would hate to keep you in suspense. <laughs> it's always no Anthony Hopkins, is it? It uh, is no Anthony Hopkins, but it's it's your one oh one impression. It is, yeah. I suppose that's your, um, yeah, that's GCSE, isn't it? Impressions, that is. Indeed, um, it is. GCSE, you might say. <laughs> the thing is, I'm so bad at impressions <laughs> that my my Sean Connery is like the worst one ever. Mesh money penny. <laughs> it's terrible, isn't it? Wow, mesh money penny. <laughs> What's that? Uh, I feel the need to point out to our listeners, um, if they're still bearing with us, that both James and I finished for Christmas today, so there's a certain party atmosphere yeah. uh, in our respective places. I'm, uh, I'm, I've had an extra dot of, uh, of caramel syrup into my coffee. Cool. And I, I, I'm just uh, finishing off uh, a small tipple of mulled wine. There we go, then. So it's kicking off. Uh, so anyway, so yes, um, so Marshall yeah. so William we, O'Neill... We join, we join Sean Connery's William O'Neill as he yeah. starts his tour, his year-long tour of IO, to kind of keep the... The rabble, uh, the miners, the blue collar workers, and the company men in check. Yeah. Um, and uh, we, we, we basically see him uh, being introduced to um, other, the other kind of um, uh, kind of federal policemen, as it were, I suppose, really, um, and the kind of company workers in one of one of the early scenes where they basically say, you know, you look after us and we'll look after you. And he's introduced to this uh, this one particular. Um, Kind of a manager, kind of local manager, I guess, really, of a particular kind of um, group of workers, um, played by Peter Boyle yes. of um, Everyone Loves Raymond fame and Taxi Driver. And the Dream Team. 
And the Dream Team, of course, yeah. yeah he's, he's, a, he's a very good character actor. And I think, yeah, so what's what's happening in this in this initial setup is that again, Marshall O'Neill is giving a not terribly inspiring speech to the the um, the hierarchy of the of this mine, the administration of the miners, and the sort of the, so- the shop steward, the uh, the general manager of all the miners, um, who's been there for more than a year. He's kind of the permanent presence there. Just says, you know, we, we this mining is this mine is productive. The workers are happy. There's generally no trouble. Just give us. He keeps mentioning, give us a little room. Give us a little space. He's basically putting the marshal back in his box, saying that you know we we know what we're doing. You're just here for the formality, um, which of course Marshal Todd is not happy about. No, but it's, it's exactly. made it's made clear that this is, um, I guess, in the language of the film, but he's the he's the boss of this town. Yeah, and the, like the the, the you know, setting of the scene of the film, it's it's very kind of grubby. It's very kind of low light. It's very um, it's very kind of mechanical yeah. type of uh, kind of environment that they live in. Everything's kind of early eighties square boxes. Mm. Yeah, in terms you know, of space, it's, it's, yeah, there's very there's very little sort of clean space. With it. it's not that kind yeah. of sterile spacecraft. It is um, yeah, clanking boxes and men cooped up together and and acetylene torches and gas bursting this kind of stuff. Uh, and it, uh, one of, one of the kind of the, the kind of driving points of the plot, effectively, is that as as um, Marshall O'Neill has arrived, there's been a series of rather graphic um, suicides, or what looks like suicides, um, from various uh, um, mining kind of um, workers who seem to have kind of undergone some kind of psychosis, yeah. either by um, one of them very early on, for example, says that he's, he's you know, seeing spiders, rips open his space suit, a space suit, and then he's um, kind, of, he kind of undergoes explosive decompression effect- effectively, which is quite grim. Another one walks without a space suit, uh, space suit into a, a kind of loading lift, um, and then uh, you know when the when the doors open at the bottom, all his guts have kind of spilled out because of the the, the decompression, etc. Another one played by um, Steve Burkoff, actually. Yes. Goes goes berserk and um, uh, takes a, a prostitute hostage before being um, kind of taken down. And a, 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 another one, a final one, um, though he doesn't have a kind of period of psychosis, I guess, but just kind of um, is is um, undergoing that kind of uh, process. And a, a big kind of like chase takes place across and through the, the mining kind of um, canteen and, and kind of sleeping quarters etc etc so this kind of sets the scene really all of these weird and unusual and unexplained yeah. suicides are happening and, and actually no, that, that last one was was for a different reason but we'll come to on to why that yeah, was later yeah. on but so, it's kind of um, slightly um perplexed by this but also um is um interested enough to investigate it perhaps in a little bit more detail than um Mark Shepard, the Peter Ball character, the general manager, would like. Um, Very much the party line is um, these things happen. Just yeah. um, we, we incinerate the bodies um, and we'll move on. We don't need to dwell on this kind of thing. Some people can't handle it on IO. Yeah, effectively, it's a tough place to work. Um, but then it's unusual that you know all of these things should be happening within you know about three days of of him kind of starting his, <laughs> his tenure. At yeah. IO. but there well, you also, also again. Meets up with the, the company doctor, Doctor Lazarus, um, and basically get, gets her to give um, all the you know the reports of how often this has happened. And it turns out this is a regular occurring pattern. It's you know, been like yeah. 24 in the last six months, 24 in the six months before that. So this is not and and but before that hardly any. So clearly this is something new that's happened to the colony, yeah. um, which also raises suspicions. 
Now, in the meantime, a bit of domestic strife takes place. Um, Marshall O'Neill, Sean Connery, has, has arrived on IO with his wife and insufferable child. Oh, my uh, goodness. Is he insufferable? <laughs> yeah, like, possibly the worst actor, I, child actor, actor think, in the history of cinema. Worse than he, the child actor in Speed Racer, I think. I think he was dubbed over, which does make you wonder how bad was that child actor that this was the dub that they thought is better. Because <laughs> he, he has this incredibly plummy voice. Um, Poor. Hello, father. Yes. I love you, father. Mother, when will I go and see Earth? Oh, shut up. See, you say you know good impressions. That is dead on, Paul <laughs> O'Neill. That was very, very good. Okay, well, here's Sean Connery then. I love you, Paul. <laughs> I will say, if you'll come to Paul, um, Sean Connery is incredibly bad at talking to his child in any kind of normal way. There's a point where he goes, what will it be like on Earth, father? And he goes, well, there'll be very nice air and you'll have lots of friends to play with and it'll be nice. And he's like, hey, would you talk to anyone like this? Unless you're flesh and blood who you're trying to comfort with. But, well, um, you, do talk to, you do talk to people like that when you don't have a script to work with. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps more on that later. Yes, we will you say, um, it's a lovely domestic scene that uh, Sean Connery is used to us by threatening violence against his son. Yeah. He's like, do I have to wear braces, father? Do you want crooked teeth? I don't mind. I'll knock a few of them out for you if you want. <laughs> well, that's the Scottish way, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> you know what they say? What's a Glasgow salad? You? Uh, what's a Glasgow salad? That's pretty deep fried something. Oh, chips. Chips. <laughs> it's that. It's that kind of. That kind of. Well, thing, that's it? just racist, James. <laughs> Well, Although now we're on the topic, I will say that there's a brawl when he's trying to um, when he's trying to subdue one of the bad guys in the midpoint of the film, and the bad guy tries to push him into a he's in the kitchens. He's chasing him to the kitchens, and he's trying to push him into a vat of boiling oil. And I'm thinking, yeah. you're not going to kill a Scotsman with a deep fryer. <laughs> it's like Br'er Rabbit in the Briar Patch. It's like I was born and bred in a deep fat fryer. You're not going to kill me. To be honest, he puts his hand in that deep fat fryer and he yeah. comes out pretty okay. Yeah, he, he throws the evidence in the deep fat fryer and, and yeah, O'Neill dips his hand in, pulls it out um, with a handful <laughs> of chips as well because, you know, why yeah. waste the opportunity? <laughs> Oh dear. Well, getting, let me get ahead of yeah, So the domestic problem is his wife and um, and obnoxious son. She decides basically that um, she's had enough of. She's had enough of being posted to the kind of the the edge of the the edge of the known universe. Thing. I've extended it a bit now. Um, <laughs> in these really kind of dull, grubby kind of outposts. It's no life for Paul. It's no life for her. So she decides to um, to basically um, sling a hook yeah. and uh, get get a get a transit back to Jupiter, waiting for the first. I don't know, train, I suppose, like, spaceship back to Earth? There's a few things to unpack um, here. First, firstly, is um, let, let's just park the fact that we'd all flush Paul out of an airlock and pretend he's a normal child. Um, but he's a fairly, oh, yeah. like, he's a fairly grown child. He's, like, in his probably 10 or whatever. Like, he, they said he's never seen Earth. He is, so he's clearly spent his entire childhood with no friends. There's no schools in this place. He's just hanging around with his parents on this very perfunctory spaceship um, or yeah. space station. He's never breathed air. He's never set on Earth. He's never experienced 1G of gravity. Um, I mean, to be honest, the, the fact the worst thing, if the worst thing is that he's got slightly crooked teeth, yeah. he's done pretty well. Absolutely. Why hasn't he got scurvy? <laughs> but again, it, that sounds like a horrible childhood. Um, it does. And actually, the way they talk about Earth, it's not like Earth is a wasteland they've all left on. Earth sounds pretty right. nice. And actually, they're talking about the they're out here mining to make a better future. Um, and if they don't want a life, that's pretty hard. Um, so that's one thing. 
that it's, it's probably, you know, she's got a point. The way she exercises that point is incredibly bad because she, she doesn't dislike him. I said that there's a point where she goes, I do love you. Um, and in fact, and then so she doesn't just bring him in on the conversation. She just decides to go because she knows he'll talk around if she stays. Yeah. Um, secondly, a, a, yeah. yes, you're right. So this is on a, um, like a vi- video phone, isn't yeah, it? She leaves she's yeah. a dear John message on video phone saying, I, yeah. I can't face you, but I'm, I'm on the shuttle and we're going back in a few days. And Earth, again, it, there's no faster than light travel. It takes a year to get back to Earth. Mm. So it's, you know, clearly being out in Io big is a decision. big commitment um, and he's they spent you know, at least 10 years out there another interesting thing is you know <laughs> his detective skills come into play in the film this is the very beginning of the film but as a detective he's not brilliant at the beginning because he literally he gets a message saying oh tell your wife her transport tickets have come through <laughs> and he, he just goes yeah. he asks her what's that about oh someone wanted transport tickets never mind and it turns out they're her transport tickets and as he goes to work she literally runs up to him flings her arms around her like she's never going to see him again hint and yeah. gives plants the biggest smack on his face and goes I do love you now you might be thinking maybe he's just Sean Connery and that's what women do to him but you know it's it's a bit of a red flag if someone who you're just popping out for gives you the biggest goodbye of their lives well I suppose you know he's he's a, a skilled he's a skilled detective yeah. when he's hunting criminal masterminds yeah but in terms of his emotional intelligence, he's wanting, isn't yeah, and he? That, that is fair enough, yes. Yeah. So, so basically, he's not, again, he's not a, a bad person in terms of his family, but he's clearly not what they need, right. and she wasn't able to communicate that to him. So he's left a bit stranded. He's, he's, you know, yeah. they've, they've left Nupta. He won't. She's saying, I've got three tickets, I want you to come with him, but he won't go because you know, he's got his job, he's the marshal. Yeah, exactly. I would say, just before we move on, an explosive decompression doesn't benefit most people but it would benefit paul <laughs> it, it's it's very hard okay, i don't convey it properly how irritating paul is he's very oh, he irritating is. He's only, yeah. and he's barely, i like, love you daddy <laughs> when that, are we that, going that, to go to earth that, that, what's that, it that. like on earth daddy father what's it look like are there trees will i meet people <laughs> <laughs> that helps actually convey how annoying he is well done james <laughs> yes paul <laughs> Anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah, so it, uh, w- w- so basically, they're out of the way. You weren't so lying about your Sean Connery accent, were you? <laughs> they're out of the way, so we can get on with the, so, the yeah. kind of, the film so basically, yeah, so basically, which, um, which is finding what the, what the hell's going on. Yeah, so Mar- Marshall O'Neill has two allies basically in this. He has the Sergeant Montone, who's basically just his the the guy who, who's his um introducing him to his deputy introduced him to the play <coughs> cheer him up yeah. etc yeah. so him up with a lot of food and the offer of hookers which is interesting when his wife goes he comes up with an enormous tray of food um, and uh, well the hookers oh, are nice an enormous tray of hookers an enormous tray of hookers carrying food yeah, he's staggering <laughs> under the weight um, neither of which actually interests uh, Marshall O'Neill but he's his deputy so he's he's one you know back in his mm-hmm. play and then he meets the Dr. Marion Lazarus um, who, uh, who again, played by Francis Sternhagen who I, I know I've seen but can't think what she's been she, in. I was exactly the same thing. She yeah. she reminded me of someone I couldn't place. She's kind of like um, a more irritating Jessica Tandy. <laughs> a more irritating Jessica. I quite like the character in the film, but she does deliver lines in a very not perfunctory but there's, there's there's very little subtlety to her performance but this was actually not a bad not a bad role no, for her no. I liked, I liked I, it she's quite good in it actually yeah um, I, again I, so but just to do a quick overview of the Doctor Lazarus um, this will come about the names being on the money it is Doctor Lazarus yeah. Uh, yeah. La- Lazarus is is you know she's just the um, you know patch of make sure they don't have syphilis kind of doctor she, she's, she said she was one yes, male practice suit ahead of, of, of the game so she's a washed up doctor um, that Sean Connery basically forces to, to be helpful so she ends up identifying um, 
um, the problem. I haven't actually come up with the capers yet, but she identifies the issues and then becomes kind of his 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 ally in all this. Yeah, um, exactly. And, and she's she... like she's like um, uh, Hooch, <laughs> isn't she? They kind of don't get on, but in the end, you know, they're a team. It did make me wonder. Was this role gender flipped? Because the way it's written, Doctor Marion Lazarus could so easily have been Martin Lazarus. It almost feels like it was written for a man, yeah, and maybe. they decided to gender flip it because she. I mean, there's no romantic lead. In that. She's again, oh no. Apart from the fact she's middle aged in Hollywood terms, that's ridiculous that a middle aged woman could get with a middle aged man. But yeah. um, she's. Uh, the, the well, first... well, we should say it's it's perfectly acceptable for a middle aged man to get hooked up with a younger. Woman. Oh, it's practically impulsive. Um, as as, in, yeah, as in, that, in, yeah, that's, that, that's yeah. encouraged. Marshall O'Neill's wife is visibly younger than he is. Um, <laughs> yeah, Doctor exactly. Marion Lara Lazarus is about the same age as Sean Connery, and therefore yeah, it's totally weird. Yeah, that's weirder than being on Iron. That's a that's a two leap of a, <laughs> that's far too great a leap of imagination. But um, so like initially when they have their their, their yeah they're two and three. She's she's crotchety and grouchy and this kind of stuff. Yeah. And he can, and you know he says something like oh, take two aspirins in the morning. That's a doctor joke. And he concludes saying I need these reports and I need them mm. really quickly. Or I'll kick your nasty ass all over this building. That's a Marshall joke. Yeah, and I exactly. Thought, yeah. You wouldn't even in 1980. You couldn't really get away with saying that to a, to a woman. I know Sean Connery has opinions on this matter, but you can't just threaten violence even in a jokey way. Um, no, but there's, but there's, well, you may could have done in the 1980s, but yeah. I mean, it 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 does. It, it doesn't endear you to the character bit, that much. It's a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah. It, it, Although, it, it, maybe, yeah. I, the way I saw it was that, that, that even at that early stage in their kind of. Um, relationship i guess yeah. they both saw in each other a kind of kindred spirit yeah and so therefore could push the boundaries of it. i did actually like that moment yeah it, it just struck me as it, it, yeah i think it's good on, yeah. on, the, on the page um it's interesting and again the, actually the fact it was gender flip makes the, the relationship so much better because again um towards the end of the film when he's at his lowest point she just comes along and kind of you know squats down next to him and they have a chat and he opens up to her not in a romantic way like opposite side of a squash court and they're just engaging with each other and she goes do you want to go and get pissed and so he goes yes i do and they go off and have a drink, and they don't like wake up next morning in bed together. They just went and have had a drink. Um, and, yeah, which and is quite refreshing, sorrows. actually. Isn't it? Yeah, that's why I, I really like the character, but it does make me think you could have dropped a guy in there, and it would have been, I guess, more expected. The fact it yeah. was it was Francis Stenningham made it a much more interesting yeah. ally to it. So kudos to the film for that. Indeed, I mean, but we've yet to actually come to what the plot of the film is. And why well, but as I say, we haven't actually got to the plot of the film yet. So effectively, what they what 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 O'Neill finds out, what he discovers, is that. There is a uh, like a drug distribution ring, I guess, really run Those by idiots uh, are taking polydialchloric euthanol. Oh wow, yeah, <laughs> that's like an episode of um, Quincy Me that I watched um, like in the late nineties when I was at university, where they made up a drug to promote um, you know not taking drugs, basically. Yeah. So this drug was Colchicine. <laughs> um, basically, for the whole episode, Quincy was shouting, "Don't take culture scene. Culture scene will kill you." It was like totally over the top, and this this is a bit like that. It's one of those made-up drugs. It's totally preposterous. Yeah, you know, it's it's like um, oh, I don't know. It's like the the League of Gentlemen when he opens the um, the suitcase and there's the golden light that comes out, and it's obviously human flesh, isn't it? <laughs> but it's it's that kind of thing. Um, it did make me wonder why they didn't bother giving it a street name to make it seem more more accessible. Yeah. Because you can't yeah. imagine that Stephen Burkoff, as the drugged out mentalist, would be asking, "Can I have some more polydiachloric euthanol, please?" <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah. I, but I, it, I it, it basically looks like um, you know um, red tip top. Those kind of drinkies you used to get as a kid. Yeah. Where you had to pierce it's the like lid. Slush puppy almost. It's it? like me- melted. Yeah. Those idiots are taking melting slush puppy. 
exactly. anyway, this particular so what, drug... what this does though is it enables these miners to work at the um, the peak of their game as it were for Twice for days on end yeah. uh, before they effectively crash and burn with a psychotic episode yeah in about again um, about 11 10 to 11 months you burn out and go insane which is a which is a long shift really yeah <laughs> <laughs> But I don't know that. You see, like, have they done any research to actually attribute that it's the drug doing that, and not just the fact that that's a bloody long shift? I think I think I'd, I'd have a psychotic episode if I'd done an eleven-month shift. I think they get to break in between to have toilet breaks and what have oh, you. Oh, right, fine. <laughs> but the um, yeah, so this I mean, this obviously benefits the uh, the system in a number of ways because um, the workers again they're working twice as hard, so money comes in. Well, the productivity is up. That's why they keep boasting about how productive they are. Yeah. Um, obviously, the people selling the drugs get to make drug money, and the workers are kept you know, reasonably happy because they got lots of drugs coming in. So everyone yeah. wins in this scenario, with the possible exception of people who go psychotic and kill themselves. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so yeah. that now becomes um, Marshall O'Neill's mission, is to break this drug wing, because he very quickly works out through looking at the monitors that it's Shepard <laughs> who's, bu- Shepherd who's behind it. Shepard is the one facilitating the drugs who come in. We should mention there's um, the shipments to IO. It's so remote, you only get one shipment every week. Uh, so mm. he works out that's where the shipments are coming in once a week from Shepard and then being distributed to all the workers. Yeah. I mean, I know that he's a detective, he's a marshal, but... All he really had to do was just look on the CCTV yes. at, at what Shepard was kind of doing and the shifty looking people that he was around. Yeah, they, they kind of I mean, it's one of those things. It's, it's kind of like, um, are, you, are you sure that? I mean, as it happens, he was right. He was, <laughs> he was, he was the, the kind of the kingpin of it, the kingpin of it all. But just looking at the monitors. They might just look shifty. Yeah. I mean, I think he blew all his detective credentials when he found out what the drug was. Like, he does lots of investigating the morgue and he gets the doctor and that's it. And from then on, yeah, there's, there's very little <laughs> cleverness going on with it. No, that's it, yeah. Um, that's but, it. But that was, so having worked that out now, again, he, um, he confronts Shepard. In fact, that's, yeah, he confronts Shepard. That's when that fourth chase, when he beats a man down, he chases a man and beats him down. He's just yeah. one of the, the mules or the couriers. Um, yeah, so he's got one of the um, the kind of packages, hasn't he? he yeah, that's, that's how he proves it. Right, um, yeah. So he throws it in the uh, hot fat fryer, yep. um, of course, which is nothing. Foiling, foiling O'Neill, not a bit, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then um, he also works out that his 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 deputy sergeant Montone is in on it in a yeah. kind of a, a look the other way. He's not part of the gang, but he's been paid not to cause a fuss. So he's exactly. he's been paid to be neutral in this. Um, and so this 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 individual who's been um, who's been caught um, trying to kind of get rid of the drugs is then kind of holed up in. Kind of solitary confinement, I guess, really. Yeah. And um, is zero like gravity an, solitary like confinement. Air, an air duct or something. I can't. No, it's, really it's like a, a, a zero gravity. It's they're kept where there's no gravity, so they float around in a spacesuit. Yes, yeah, total sensory deprivation, I guess. Yeah, which actually sounds kind of harsh. I mean, just throw them in a oh, cell. Sounds terrifying. Yeah, but nonetheless, um, he doesn't he doesn't last very long because he's uh, his witness is murdered, um, or yeah. his, his suspect is murdered, as is um, Sergeant Montone. He's strangled. Um, so they can get to the, the witness to murder him. Yep. And then we get into the basically we get into the kind of crux of the 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 the, the shift in the film, which goes from a, a kind of detective type thriller into a more kind of western style set in space. It becomes approach. it becomes very. I mean, essentially, it's high noon. Um, yeah. It because is, yeah. what what happens is um, again. 
O'Neill then has his... Yes, there's two conversations with Shepard, actually. The first one he is does, with Shepard. Yes, yes two conversations with Shepard, but they are both effectively exactly the same. Yeah. Where they both do veiled threats to each other and don't really get anywhere. Yeah, but Shepard is kind of like, yeah, vaguely saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I run this town, let me pay you off, and O'Neill's going, yeah. no, and they, that happens a couple of times. Yeah. The weird thing with the second interaction is it happens after Montone has been murdered. And it's still fairly lighthearted and jokey. Um, it's, yeah, he's like he's playing golf, isn't he? He's he's always playing golf. He's that's his thing. Yeah. Um, but he's uh, fair enough, he's playing golf, and it's kind of like playing on the Wii. Um, so yeah. so kudos to the movie for being like twenty years ahead of its time. Because he's playing yeah. Wii golf. Um, yeah, he is. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a shame he didn't like, they, you know, play in the kind of contretemps. It's kind of like subtle contretemps where basically they're threatening threatening each other with smiles. It's, uh, well, yes, it's very much like um, did you? Because basically, O'Neill um is part of investigations, finds the shipment that's come in, flushes it yeah. all away. So he destroys yeah. an entire batch of drugs, um, which obviously is going to cause Shepard some some trouble as well. And it's he's still... He, Shepard is not really portraying anger. He's more like, oh, you're an idiot. And he's going, oh, yes, I am. And they're like, it's kind of like, oh, I'm going to get you. Oh, you're going to try. <laughs> and then you're dead, O'Neill. You're dead. Oh, am I? Oh, well, yeah. we'll see. They're, they're drawing a line in the sand. And it, it's... <laughs> it's it's on for about yeah. ten minutes. But it's from this line in the sand, you're right, that the, the, the literal clock <laughs> starts ticking because... Um, uh, Shepard like shift as well, isn't it? Yeah, well, Shepard yeah, call, yeah, calls his um, his superiors um, again off planet, who also are part of a drug ring, and says, yeah. "Send me two assassins. Um, we we got to kill O'Neill." And two of your best men. Two of your best men. Um, and O'Neill learns of this as well because he's intercepted the communications, and the entire population knows about this because Shepard has let word be known that two guys are coming from O'Neill, so don't stand in their way. So that becomes the, the high noon because the uh, the clock that announces when the next colony shipment is coming, you know, 60 hours and counting, starts ticking down. And for the rest of the movie, you you basically see this clock getting slower and slower, and the tension building as O'Neill realizes he has absolutely no allies here, and the the, the hitmen are coming for him. Yeah, and the clock ticks down, and then eventually the the shipment arrives, and the um. Well, there was, there was the, actually the, one point when he when he when he's, yeah, he he has his lowest ebbs in a few times. First, when he has that conversation with Lazarus about you know why he's here, um, and it's yeah. the, it's you first you realise why he's here because at this point, um, Sean Connery has been portraying a very sort of blank wall which he's just he's he just has, the marshal yeah. doing his job, and even you at this point is questioning why is he doing this job? Nobody clearly wants him here, um. And 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 he's been offered to pay off or leave the planet or whatever. So he can he's got it out and he's not doing it. And he again he kind of not quite breaks down, but he does open up to Lazarus, saying basically he's been sent to this this dead end position because the company thinks he's rubbish. He's been the sent- full the full quote the full yeah, quote is they sent me here to this pile of bleep because they think I belong here. I want to find out if well if they're right. There's a whole machine that works because everybody does what they're supposed to do, and I found out. I was supposed to be something I didn't like. That's what's in the program. That's my rotten little part in the machine. I don't like it, so I'm going to find out if they're right. Yeah. So this is all about proving it to himself. So this is where yeah. he, again, he was he sent here to be a cop who looks the other way and lets the thing carry on, or can he make a difference? And that's what he's doing. Um, yeah. And then there's a, honest, <laughs> if the alternative is to spend a year on a ship with Paul, <laughs> I, would, I would so take I would so take death on my own. That, that would be a great quote. It's like, why are you doing this, Marshall? I just can't take another year with Paul. Um, it, that, that's a more moving moment than the other scene when he finds out that none of his, his police deputies are backing him because literally calls in his replacement <laughs> sergeant and just goes, are the, are the men with me? And the sergeant goes, look, they all got families. They, 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 they're young. And he just goes, well, can I count on you? And at this point, the sergeant, rather than lying or prevaricating, just goes, well, no, not really. <laughs> it's, it's unintentionally played, hilarious. Played by, played by Clark Peters. No. From The Wire. 
Oh my goodness, I did not clock that. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And a, a young-looking, very, very fresh-faced young Clark Peters. I have to rewatch that now. My goodness. Good spot. Okay, Stephen Burkhoff and Clark Peters. What a what a, what a background cast. Oh, indeed. Okay. Um, so yeah, but the okay, well, Clark Peters lives a very unintentionally funny line when he's asked, you know, you can I count on you? He's like, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't even bother lying to him. Um, And in fact, that again, so, um, and that's when kind of the high noon thing continues because Sean Connery goes to the, the, you know, the assembled meeting of the uh, the hierarchy saying, you know, who's, who's going to stand with me? And they'll go, that's your job. Yeah, it's your job. We're not going to stand with you. And he goes, what about your men? He's like, I can't count on my men. And so, and this is where you, you get really into the kind of Western tropes, don't you? Because you, you've got him walking around the, the, the space station, the, sorry, the, um, the, the mining kind of, uh, town kind of laying traps almost putting rifles in in um kind of like electrical cupboards yes, and, a, yes, a very uh, putting trip wires or, you know things like that so that he's always got access to weapons and he's always got access to kind of traps and so on and so yeah, forth yeah and indeed again it was like yeah, the other the town doctors helping him out because lazarus does come to his aid to help out um with yeah. and actually okay, so we'll, we'll come to that so the shuttle lands the, the uh the high noon has arrived and the two hit men um basically yeah, march out and start hunting O'Neill and they're pretty effective they they manage to to wound wound, uh, wound him and uh, and chase him yes. to his, his bolt yes. holes and then Lazarus comes along to help him out and he's actually quite proactive also makes me wonder why it was the role written for a man because she's really oh, yeah. good she um she's it's useful right yeah and that that's not she's not a passive she's not a passive character which is not my interpretation but normally in an 80s yeah. movie a, a, a female would never get to do so much she 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 does defeat one of the hit men pretty much single-handed she locks him yeah. in an air in an air duct and he then gets blown away into space so first yeah. one's that with second one does me wonder why you know this was the best men they were sending because this guy shoots oh, his yeah. way shoots a window in an airlock and gets sucked out yeah um, I know. he, he I does mean, get like... tricked he kind of he, he drops a, a panel outside because o'neill's in a space outside the building now and he drops yeah. a panel that tricks the man to firing but also if you're in this airlock you don't fire wildly at things you see because you'll get sucked out as he did well, you know, I mean, what an idiot! You don't, you don't just fire randomly at stuff. I mean, yeah. this is this is their best men. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he fires randomly at stuff, um, and then just as it's all over, up comes Clark Peters in a spacesuit. So the, the yeah. replacement sergeant was uh, also a bad, and um, I think probably he was a, as, as yeah, a surprise. he was he was he was a uh, he was the inside he was, man. He was a baddie. He was a baddie. So he he gets there's a big old spacesuit fight between him and O'Neill, and O'Neill defeats him too. I think he also pops him inside his spacesuit, breaks the pressure on it. Um, yeah. And then, so the, all the bad guys are defeated. Uh, the uh, the marshal's successful. He walks up to uh, Shepard and basically just punches him in the face. Um, yeah, and that's, yeah, and that's that's the end, really. That's it? concluded. Yeah, but it's, is, is it, yeah, explosive decompression is the method of of death in this film. <laughs> yes, but, but that's basically it. Although we also know that again, um, it has been it's been foreshadowed. Shepard is in trouble because the uh, when he's giving instructions, it's saying if this doesn't work, Shepard, we're coming yeah. for you next. Yeah. So we realise yeah. that that the, um, the 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 ring is broken, the day is saved. Um, both O'Neill. I suppose the, yeah, the assumption with him being punched in the face is that effectively he's either going to be taken to court, yeah. or he's going to be murdered by the company yeah. conglomerates amalgamated. Yes. Um, again, Lazarus is also again Lazarus has has found a new lease on life too. Again, by being, you know, from being a washed up old doctor, has now learned that she's also you know a good. Um, she did the the science work to to learn what it was, and she actually helped out O'Neill yeah. defeat them. So she's leaving the planet too to again, I guess pursue her yeah. destiny. O'Neill's going to rejoin his wife, um, 
get a pair of we, 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 we find this out through uh, what looks like an email written <laughs> on screen in kind of old Commodore 64 typeset. I was going to say, for all the wonderful set design, and we'll come to that, the, uh, yeah. the, the, the black screen with the green <laughs> letters that go has not aged well. They really missed the ball on what future tech would look like on screens. There's a certain kind of nostalgia to that, though. <laughs> I see, you, you hear them typing, and you see Sean Connery doing his best to pretend he's typing, yeah. and the, the keystrokes are in no way matching the words that pop <laughs> up. <laughs> no, I suppose, I suppose for me the issue is... No one makes a typo in these... You no know, it goes like, I am coming... Oh, daft, didn't I? Did, 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 I am coming <laughs> to the planet. It misspelled something. Yeah, it autocorrects Io to Joe. And it's like, no, I don't mean I'm not coming to Joe, I'm coming to Io. Well, the funny thing is, is that they've, they've, they've probably got... They got a bit of it right in the sense that they communicate through a form of email, don't they? They do, yes. But really, it's a type of email, yeah. but then it's also video phone, which I don't think has really kicked off a bit. Are we not having a conversation over Skype, James? Well, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was supposed to be ironic. <laughs> oh, was it? Sorry, James. I thought you were just That's confused. The quality of my jokes there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, n- nonetheless, the day is saved, um, and saved. and with that, with that, we're done. Yeah, IO can continue to produce titanium core Phew. for decades to come. The the proletariat will be continue to be crushed <laughs> under the full weight of late-era disaster capitalism. And, and on that note, we will move into the uh, analysis of the film. Join us then. Welcome back to the, the second half of, uh, of Weekend at Crombie's Season 2, Episode 12, Outland. Uh, so we'll begin, as we always do. James will tell us why you chose Outland, and then we'll look into some analysis. So, <clears throat> James, why did you choose Outland? Well, let me ask you a question, Hugh. Have you Had you ever heard of Outland? I had not. I'd been calling it Outlander until this very morning when I thought to check the title of the film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and yet, it stars, uh, who would have been at the time, a very big Hollywood star, Sean Connery. Yeah. Um, it had a budget of about $19 million, wow. which wouldn't have been insignificant in the early 80s. Yep. Um, it was riding the crest of that similar kind of um, blue-collar sci-fi approach to films like Alien, maybe The Thing as well. Yeah. Um, also not unfair to say that in 1981, sci-fi was kind of a big market. Kind of a big market, yeah, absolutely. The special effects in it were, although perhaps slightly dated now, were very cutting edge at the time using a process called IntraVision, which this actually pioneered and had been used in a number of different films which you might come on to. I think it aged uh, well. Well, well, I think there were parts in it. I think it's. I think the type of technology that it is means that you know it's a special effect, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but for what it is, it's done well. Yeah, it's, it's an age better than, say, early CGI did. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally, totally. So, you know, given all those things, Outland, in my view, should be a more famous or known film than it is. Yes, it is interesting um, that it's not. And so had you no, seen this, I, I, this before you picked it? No, I'd never, I'd never heard of it. I'd never seen it. Oh. I was looking for... Um, I was just browsing uh, 
various um, kind of film cinephile kind of websites, etc. And there was one review of, of Outland, which is, you know, basically saying, oh, I really enjoy this film. This really should be, you know, more known. And I thought, I've never heard of this. It's got Sean Connery in it. What? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, post Bond, but he was he was a very big, big oh, yeah. kind of star at the time. Um, and so I thought, well, this sounds it sounds intriguing. Um, I quite like the idea of, of kind of um, supplanting uh, the kind of Western genre into like a science fiction setting. Um, if I'm honest, I quite like the poster. <laughs> Connery just holding a big rifle in front of him. It looks quite cool. I quite like Sean Connery as an actor as well. Yeah. Um, and I thought, well, given given that this seems to have been lost to the to the kind of annals of time, as it were, for some reason, it's either going to be terrible, like really bad, or maybe it just didn't hit the right tone or it missed the zeitgeist. Yeah, it was yeah. maybe a, 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 the downward downward trend of that particular type of film being made rather than rather than at the crescendo of it i don't know so that was why i wanted to watch it basically i thought it'd be a very good weekend at crombie's film whether it would make a good conversation i don't know but i think it ticks a lot of boxes in terms of what a weekend at crombie's film is yes that's it and when do they not make good conversations well exactly well we 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 await to find out Um, (laughs) okay so that's why you picked it so would you like to kick off with with the themes on it so I suppose the first thing to say that I I think the film is relatively straightforward in terms of its themes, right? It's thematic structure. It takes, it takes a, a, whether you call it homage, I know, but it's, it's certainly a a very, I call it a remake of High Noon effectively. Yeah. yeah. But, but in a, in a science fiction setting and it, it follows the tropes of, it follows the tropes of a kind of science fiction thriller for the first half of the film and then very strongly the Western in the second half of the film. Yeah. And what it does is that it actually kind of follows in High Noon's footsteps, almost footprint by footprint in that last 45 minutes, I think. Um, there are, you know, very key um, signifiers harking back to High Noon. Very key, you know, the, the thing where the... Um, the, the 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 clock is ticking effectively yeah, yeah. the transit the the scene where he goes into the um uh kind of like the the mining community and the kind of fellow um marshals and asks them for support and they don't give any yeah. you know it's it's effectively a uh a frontier town basically but set on a uh, a desolate planet instead of a desolate landscape i mean it, yeah. it's it's the same thing in in that regard I think it does that um it does that homage rather rather well. Um I think that it, it and and because of that, you can really see the markers and the kind of the, the, the learning points from the film. You can really see where it's what it's aiming for, I guess. I mean the the thing is it's a simple film, right? You know, th- there's nothing particularly complicated about it. Um but it's one of those films that doesn't have a lot of depth per se. But what it does in that context, it's reasonably effective in delivering an atmosphere and knowing where you are in the kind of genre cinema that this is very, very clearly kind of put in. Basically. Yeah, I mean, he is yeah, basically the marshal. He has a, a he has a star on his T-shirt. He's a sheriff, isn't he? Yeah, that's what um, he is. Yeah. And and again, actually, in in many regards, the fact it's on a planet with you know they're on a, a moon with. A, a weekly supply drop that counts down. There is no escape. It's not even like High Noon where you get on a horse and ride away. You're not being oh, bound by morality. You are, you are yeah. there. And when the clock starts ticking, that was the, the best moment from the halfway point <coughs> when you realise yeah. the assassins are coming. Everybody knows. The town knows what's coming. The bad guy knows what's coming. The marshal knows what's coming. And it's just until it comes. It was very well played. 
No, I, I agree. Um, the, the other, so we've, we've spoken about the high noon process. The other, um, the other film that I think it owes a debt to is Alien. Yeah. Um, and you know, unlike I think in the last was it the last was it Harry and the Hendersons we were talking about the fact that neither of us were really massive ET fans. Yes. Um, and, and so therefore, you know, it, Harry and the Hendersons was trying to be a kind of an ET style film, but it, it fell flat. Yeah. Look, I am a massive Alien fan. Yeah. I think Alien is one of the greatest films ever made. Outland is not a patch on Alien, yeah. but that doesn't matter particularly in the same way that Peter Hyams, who also directed 2010, is not a patch on 2001 A Space Odyssey. Mm. They're different films. Yeah. Okay. Well, he, yeah. well, he also, yeah. The way he also directed was Capricorn One, which is probably his most oh, successful yeah. film, which yeah. has that, though it's set on Earth, has that kind of cynical, dark attitude yeah. to, to space exploration um, and has that Absolutely. feel to it that it's oppressive and, <laughs> and it's constraining. Yeah. Absolutely, and, and what what out for, for what it is, what outland what outland does quite well, particularly in the early scenes, is is give you the impression and give you a really distinctive flavour of what working on a mining um, uh, kind of um, uh, setup on IO might be like. Yeah, I mean the first yeah. five seven minutes are given to either establishing shots or two or three characters we never see again and don't really matter. Yeah. And having a, having, having a dialogue, wink. is there? Well, they, they, it's, it's kind of nattering. They, they talk, it's, like, it's <coughs> yeah. like that Tarantino thing where they're just having a conversation about stuff. They're complaining about shift patterns or type of robot being brought in or the shop steward not not giving them their rotations. Or It's just nonsense, not nonsense, but it's yeah. not crucial information. And then one guy goes crazy since spiders are inside his suit. And it's all of that is, is there as partly to kick off you know, the first instigate incident, but also because it's just to give you that flavour of what it is like. And it's it's yeah. being very clear, this is not your... Because it's not Star Wars, because Star Wars was like, this is Return of the Jedi here now. So it's not this kind of space opera. It's not the the graceful oddity of 2001. It's much more that alien, you know, you still pull levers and twist handles and you're almost like the plumbers in space. You've got to do stuff to make things happen. It's, it's, that, that Maybe that would have been a good title. Plumbers in space. <laughs> no, you, you, you're absolutely right. And um, it... it it's what I call blue-collar sci-fi, basically, yeah, yeah. which you don't see a lot of now, actually. Um, it's, it's, the science fiction you get now is either kind of big-ticket ideas science fiction, um, films like Inception, yeah. or more recently perhaps Ad Astra, or, or you get um, the kind of space opera-type science fiction films like the kind of continuing Star Wars um, films yeah. or the kind of big-budget kind of superhero films. I know they're not quite science well, fiction. Guardians of the Galaxy. They exist in that world. Thing, yeah, it's the... Yeah. It's which is a different kind of western in many ways because it's it's what it's the lighter western of the guy who walks in with the, the gun on his hip and you know goes with the bad guys. It's yeah um, yeah. It's, but yeah, you're you're right. It's just not those types. But in fact, you mentioned about the, the alien. The music is very reminiscent of Alien. It's got very well, it's, much like it's a, the same. It's the same composer. It's Jerry Goldsmith. Ah, see, so just kind of that explains it. Yeah, and give us a space tune, Jerry. Knock it, knock it over that for us. <laughs> Jerry gives him his waste paper basket. Where's where's some old notes I did for Alien? Yeah, yeah exactly. We didn't use that. We didn't use that composition in Alien. That will do for Outland. Um, but as I say, you, uh, you don't really get. You don't tend to get science fiction films now, which are, which are, um, which are kind of any any old film that just happens to be set in space. Yeah. Yeah. So so this film, for example, didn't need to be set in space. Do, do you know what I mean? I it, thought the same it, thing. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it could be it could be set um, I don't know it could be set in a a company in in the Midwest or it could be set in a, a you know like Antarctica a farm, or you know. under under the sea or yeah it needs to be remote remote with a kind of law is is cut off you know the normal society is cut off and you're yeah. in a microcosm where you know certain people have power and yeah, that's absolutely. pretty much all you need 
That's all you need, yeah. So the 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 kind of the two twin um, influences, the alien on the one hand, at the start of the film, the kind of sci-fi horror, and it is, and actually some of the um, some of the kind of the the special effects and the way that the individuals meet their comeuppance are is 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 well done. It's quite graphic, but it's well done in that context. It doesn't kind of mince its. It, you know, it doesn't look away, as it were. So it's 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 a bit brutal in that regard, yeah. which would befit the fifteen certificate, I guess. Well, I mean, yeah, and, but, but Stephen Burkoff, in in a, in a sense, certainly puts in a shift as the, the crazy prostitute killer. He does, yeah. It's, I mean, if, if if I mean, I know that Stephen Burkoff is renowned for being slightly over the top as an actor, but this, I mean, this is he is absolutely crazy. It's kind of like incredibly um, over the top Germanic um, nutter who runs around <laughs> almost naked for about five minutes and then. Um, takes a prostitute hostage and then has like bulging eyes coming out of his. You know, like there's a scene in um, to- Total Recall's another one. There you go. I was going to say actually because I, I, I was wondering about does decompression work like that? Because I've seen several independent films think that when you take your, your helmet off in, a, in space, you blow up. Um, and <laughs> I have no idea. It's, yeah, I don't I, know. Yeah, so I'm, I'm interested. To, is that the actual effect? Because that's strange. Yeah. But clearly, but, but, some films think it is. Some films think it is, yeah. But Total Recall is another example of that kind of film that it fits into this kind of genre, really. There's not many of them, but it fits into this kind of genre, I think. Also, I think, again, I'm, I'm just working this out now. One of the chaps um, in Bob the Space, it was John Ratzenberger. Oh, yeah, that's true, yeah. Of, Which, um, obviously, Cheers and a lot of kind of... Um, oh, oh, John Ratzenberger fame. So there's, you know, it, it does... I've broken your thread further. You have. You, know, you notice that I basically just ignored that last minute. <laughs> Because I'm like, here, I'm trying to get to my point here. As you were. I'm, I'm labouring a point enough. <laughs> so, so anyway, so well, that's it, is it? You've got, you've got Alien on one hand, you've got High Noon on the other. Yeah. And they're spliced together um, in this kind of, uh, it's, you know, in this kind of early 80s um, special effects extravaganza. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that you mentioned the special effects. Um, and when I said that they, they're, they're dated, I, I don't necessarily mean that in a critical way. I mean, I suppose partly I do, but... They they are they are of their time, certainly. So you know you know that they are special effects, and you know that they're you know that the film is using miniatures, um, and you know that you know there's that kind of process. But they are well done. Yeah, yeah. I, I was yeah. I would say you know. I was quite willing and able to lose myself into the yeah. reality of it. I mean, it's it's quite sprawling when he has a chase through the the um, you know the the. Um, complex chasing after the the drug dealer you don't immediately think oh they're just changing door signs <laughs> and letting them no, around no. you feel this is an enormous complex he's chasing through yeah. and when they they pan through you know there's there's racks and racks of bunks and all the miners are cooped up there you know they get a tiny living space either you know, that was real or you know cleverly done it it was it felt like there was a huge mining complex i never once thought that's a good miniature that's clever how they've done yeah. that it didn't stick out like a sore thumb and interrupt my immersion, if you like, into the story. No, I, I, I mean, I, I think that the um, there are two things that I think. Well, actually, there are three things I particularly liked about the film. Um, I liked the set design and I liked the special effects in in its kind of re- kind of um, nostalgic kind of re- retro kind of process. Yeah. I, um, I I quite like the direction of the film as well. Peter Hyams isn't particularly a, a known for being. A, a, uh, you know, a brilliant director. He's a bit of a nuts and bolts director who's made, you know, some decent films, some awful films, and you know hasn't really done much lately. But there, there was a bit. Of, there's quite a verve in the way that some of the scenes are directed here. So, as you said, the first five or you know ten minutes of the film is effectively a camera from distance moving into the complex, um, kind of panning down across a number of workers, then 
starting to have a conversation and then the first kind of psychosis taking place. Yeah. And there are a couple of other scenes in the film which I think is really well done. There's a chase sequence where Sean Connery chases um, the kind of the, the uh, potential um, um, kind of drug dealer, as it were, the mule, I, I guess, yeah. which is a, a, a really, really fantastic piece of steady cam work. Yeah. Um, and it, it's brilliantly done because you get a real sense of um, uh, claustrophobia with the, the kind of the, the, the tightness of the corridors, the the fact that they're jumping through people's kind of um, bedroom quarters, uh, which are kind of cages, really, where they're climbing up and jumping around and jumping down and going into the canteen and the, the steady cam goes over the over the actual tables itself, chasing the individual from Sean Connery's perspective into the kitchen, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's really well done. And I think throughout the film, actually, the direction has it has um, momentum to it, actually, which is really good. The third thing I liked is um, I quite like Sean Connery in this, actually. Yeah. I think he puts in a real shift. And I think in this, I mean, he's, he was 51 when he made this film. 51? Yeah, it's 51 when he made this film, yeah. And I've got to say, he looks good for 51. Yeah. Uh, he's, he, and what, what I liked about him is, he, he, in this, he plays a kind of, he plays someone with a bit of vulnerability, I guess, but he's still a tough cookie. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, so I, I thought he played it really well. Yeah, I thought actually it was, because again, because he's, he's you know, Sean Connery and has that undeniable physical presence anyway. Yeah. You know, when, when Marshall Hill begins his shift... He's not terribly inspiring. He doesn't get any confidence from the the, no. the workers, and that's deliberate. You know, he's he's seen as you know a guy that almost is, though he he can he can deal with a, a hostile situation. He can't he can't sort of get people to believe in him because um, yeah. he, he doesn't get any of the the, the the policemen on his side. He doesn't get any people believing him, and it's you know he has to really work hard at it. And yeah, you you certainly do. Yeah, you're right. He, he just put himself into it. And again, I think it's certainly the, uh, the 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 low moment when he realizes all is lost, and he's facing kind of what he's not let himself in for, but what he's what has led him to. Um, yeah. That's very powerful. I think when he's in the squash court, sort of uh, fondling a squash ball and, and opening up to Doctor Lazarus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, um, so I mean, th- 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 those were the things I kind of quite liked about the film. I, I don't think it's a brilliant film. In, in, in a lot of ways, there's, there's um, the, the script is kind of on the nose a little bit. I don't think it does much, really, actually, thinking about it. There's a point at which the, the, the kind of Western high noon um, um, kind of um, tropes kick in, where for long periods, he's kind of just moping about, yeah. waiting for the, the 60 hours to tick down to zero. And I just think, well, this could have been cut out a little bit. Or Actually, this that was my favourite part of the film. That oh, I, was that, it? That I really liked. Um, uh, I don't know. I found was, it a bit dull. No, that I thought that's right. Because actually, in on honesty, once the killers arrived, there's a bit of a chase scene and he beats them both. But you knew he was going to beat them. Yeah. And, and he doesn't read the beat them in incredibly innovative ways. He just he manages to outmanoeuvre them and, and catch them. So, I mean, that, that was done okay. It wasn't, you know, the fight of, it wasn't the okay corral. Yeah. But, so to me, it is all about the waiting. It's about the waiting and the time ticking down and the whole complex feeling that, that violence is imminent. That I quite liked. Um, but you're right, I mean, it's funny because the timing, it's a, it's a very tight film. It's like a one hour 40, which I, I, always, yeah. um, I always approve of in yeah. any film. Um, it was a tight film, although I feel even that is stretched. I think there's there's less content than there is running time. I, I did feel that we we um we didn't quite get to it, and we looked at all the thematic points, and they were all there. But I think structurally there are some issues with it, which might be why it's a less successful film and a less enjoyable film than maybe we've just described from um, the synopsis here. 
So go on, describe some of the structural issues yeah. you have. So, so, so um, firstly, uh, there is there's the the the. Let's begin. Shepherd, the uh, the shop steward. Uh, yes. I think Peter Boylgin is a very good character actor and would have made a great kind of you know evil bad guy yeah. of the of the yeah. thing. Uh, I think just the costume doesn't help. He's always in a peaked cap and a huge beard. I think that takes away a lot of what he can emote yeah. from that. He's kind of smothered in it a little bit, but nonetheless he can he can get across with his voice and his. He looks a bit like a hobo. Yeah. He's, he, and he, it doesn't. It's not befitting of the role. I don't think. I know he's meant to be like the shop steward. You know, he's 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 running the show, but he could be he could be more intimidating than that. But that. Um, but by the by. Um, what is an issue is that the um, <laughs> I've turned it down as the absence of persistent goons. Um, yes, there's, yes. There's, there's what happens is he there's <laughs> either, either the guys get psychosis and then kill themselves, yeah. or he catches a guy who's then murdered and then catches <laughs> a guy who's then murdered, then murdered. And, it, yeah. and it's a cycle. And so we ne- and the two guys who come in to defeat him at the end are completely new to us, so we never get a chance to see who his antagonists are. There's just a continuing and again, um, Sergeant Ballard who's who betrays him at the very end, is basically introduced and then betrays him. So we yeah, never get a true. sense of who the guys against him are, apart from Shepard, who's the consistent villain. But, but even, even, even with Shepard, I mean, as much as Peter Ball is a, is a really good actor, and, yeah. you know, he does good work in the film, yeah. he's, he's limited to three or four specific scenes yeah, yeah. with Sean Connery in his office, yeah. where they are basically just kind of verbally threatening each other, the, the, but not in an angry way. Yeah. In a, in a kind of like a, you know, trying to play around with the kind of language and see where, where it leads them. Yeah. So I, I agree that the threat element in the film wasn't quite there. Yeah. Um, yeah, and again, you're right. Again, they have, they have two very similar scenes, which doesn't help. And even if they'd just taken one of those scenes and have maybe Shepard is, you know, he's hauling titanium or, or loading stuff or doing something that's, you know, physical in a different environment to, to show that he's got the, the entire workforce behind him would yeah. be one thing. But again, mm-hmm. so, it, so if we're looking at this as the, the, um, you know, the Western, there's, or even the criminal, the, the procedural, yeah. there's no sense that he's the boss of everything and he is, he's invincible. He's just because he says he is and because mm. Sean Connery accepts he is, but there's yeah. no, you don't feel... we should believe that. Yeah, yeah. And also, again, here's another actual issue, and this is probably my jaded post-millennial uh, views yeah. on this, is there nothing, there's nothing that negative about this drug operation. Um, they, and this sounds <laughs> bad. The, apart from the... The explosive decompression. Well, okay, a couple of things with this is these guys <laughs> knew they were taking drugs, and yeah. okay, so whether it's they go psychosis and blow themselves up or they have an overdose, they are they are apparently willingly taking these drugs to to, to amp them up, and they are they they taken the side effects. With I will accept again that the prostitute who's attacked is is the only innocent in this, um, mm. because that that is a bad side effect of this psychosis. That's the one sort of person who, mm. d- who didn't ask for it who gets injured, but that's never dwelt on that much. He just, you know, um, no. O'Neill isn't dwelt saying this poor woman she's right. got caught up in it she's not a character in the film no he's, he's concerned that the people who are taking the drugs are being killed by it and Shepard's bringing it in yeah. um, but to my mind that's their choice Shepard is is you know he's just a drug dealer he's not actually and this is the thing if this was a western the boss and his goons would be terrifying the homesteaders they'd be innocents mm. who are physically troubled right. yeah, by what's right. going on he'd but be, nobody does that no he'd be twisting arms or leaning on people yeah. and everyone would be kind of hoping that someone would stand up and but they're not and there's yeah. none of that the system is working they're, they're, they're producing well, titanium is, yeah. the yeah. occasional guy goes crazy but he and here's the other thing um, this is me again, when I watch this I tend to rewrite them in my head to make them more entertaining in my head but I thought when the doctor discovers oh my god they're using this drug I thought the twist is going to be that Shepard is flooding 
all the miners with this yeah. drug, willingly yeah. or unwillingly, and therefore that's to, to, why... To, to benefit from profits. Yeah, that's why production yeah. is off the scale, because they're all Absolutely. doped up. And all of a sudden, it's been 10 or 11 months, and one by one, they're all going to go crazy. So I thought, that, there's your threat, because people are being unwillingly drugged without their knowledge. They're, they're yeah. the victims. And um, it adds a bit of unpredictability to it as well, because yeah, you don't do. know when the next one is going to happen. Precisely. And there's but also the ticking that. bomb that he's trapped on a, 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 trapped on a station with yeah. 2,000 yeah. miners, all of which are heading towards the 10, 11 month mark of psychosis. Yeah. So yeah. that would be, would be terrifying. Um, that wasn't that film, which I shouldn't make it that film. But well, that's worth, that to me, if my point is, that's a a problem that needs you know one man to stand up against the bad guys yeah so, but here so, so, he's yeah. just causing problems actually if he, if he just either looked the other way or took the bribe they wouldn't and you know and cleared up the occasional guy who went psychotic the yeah. system would keep working well i mean other other than other than his other than sean connery's um kind of moral awakening i guess yeah. there's no reason for him not to take the bribe yeah and I, and I, and I realise what I'm saying there, which is, you know, in, in films you have a goodie who is good and you yeah. have a baddie who is bad. But in reality and in the best kind of films, there is a complexity and a greyness to characters. Some good characters can do bad things and vice versa. And in this, there is no real reason why um, Marshall O'Neill should not take the bribe and... Be done with it. And I acknowledge that that means that the, 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 the speech that he has about, you know, it, am I the person that they think I am? Yeah. But that's you don't know enough about the character for it to really be that important. Yeah, I don't think it, don't, it doesn't matter that much. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It just doesn't matter. It's like, we'll take the bribe. Who cares? Yeah. And I, th- I think that's entirely right. Again, and again, thinking of other um other westerns that managed to get across much more nuanced I'm thinking like mm. 310 to Yuma where people think yes. well I'll help you out but only to a certain point and, and that's yeah. that does feel more it's like well I want to obey the law but I don't want to get killed because I want to obey the yeah. law and, yeah. um, and it's, it's the thing that whereas here yeah he's, he's actually getting in the way of a system that is running and yes people are decompressing and killing themselves but you know a um, bit of drug awareness <laughs> well you know you're right uh, so the the film I mean, and again the film isn't this so it's maybe unfair to, to to label it as such but there's two things specifically which lead me to this conclusion the first one is is that when when I realised that the film was going to be what it was going to be about yeah. i.e. that the the key plot development was um, a, a a kind of drug um, ring that was releasing drugs I thought well is that it <laughs> I thought is that it secondly as a consequence to that if that is it um there's got to be some big kind of chutzpah happening later on in the film which makes that worthwhile and it kind of didn't happen so 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 it leads me to the conclusion that what would have been a better film would have been the kind of the proper blue collar science fiction film which went down the road of being a satire perhaps on on um kind of production um, at all costs, you know, 80s capitalism, you know, all this kind of stuff, the burgeoning Reaganomics of the era. And I know that I appreciate that's a totally different film. It wouldn't have the budget, probably wouldn't be a science fiction film, etc., etc. Yeah. But, but I think we've we both made points here. We've we, right? yeah, we, we both interpreted what we thought the film was going to be in different ways because <laughs> yeah. it, it, it essentially, it, it's, it sort of it set the stage, it had the characters, it had the cast, and it just plonked down a fairly standard police procedural and a fairly standard western on top yeah. of that and yeah. neither and the story didn't grip you 
through that. Again, it was an hour and 40, and it could have been less than that. It was like a, an hour, it could have been an hour long um, sort of TV special. Yeah, it could have been, yeah. You're because right. it, it, it is a very straightforward thing, and the only almost twist or nuance <coughs> in it is O'Neill's moral awakening, or O'Neill's decision to find out who he is. And that's about it. Um, yeah, but 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 the, I agree, that is about it. But I don't think we know enough about him for it to really connect. No, no, but that, but that, but that, but that is all, that all he gives you. That's all you've got to go with. Um, because yeah, yeah. The, the villain isn't sufficiently villainous, and nor is the situation sufficiently dangerous, um, and nor is again the uh, yeah the 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 environment sufficiently ramped up. Like I say, in in go, go back to Alien now. In Alien, the crew are they're blue collar workers, and they're considered expendable for the company's profits. It's exactly. made very yeah. clear. <laughs> yeah, here, yeah. here it's not that. Here is there's just a lot of workers, and, and they are all uh, under. They are all uh, um, they are all in jeopardy. Yeah, in Alien, they're all potentially yeah. about to die. Yes. Horrific deaths. There's none of that in Outland. In here, there are a, there are what there are three workers who suffer drug-related deaths, um, and, and that's yeah. it. And that's again, that's not yeah. flooding the the, the the workers with with drugs. And that's again, if, if they'd even had you know run up the number saying you know how many are in threat, and the doctor goes you know I'll punch the number. Oh, there are you know 500. If we don't yeah. get them flushed out of the system now, they're all going to die. There's not yeah. even that ticking clock in there that he feels he needs to do. That he's just there are people dying and they're not being done and. I don't know, even from the, the Western's idea of, you know, you've got to stand up for justice, it doesn't seem reason enough to no, do all the things no reason. he does. It's almost like, I, I kept thinking, don't be a hero in this. Yeah. yeah don't yeah. be a hero. Just, 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 you know, do your shift and then go. Yeah. Um, and, and you're right, because there's, if, you know, it, the, the threat element of it is, is, is lacking significantly, because, um, as you say, if they were all... Um, drug addicts and if they are all about to undergo a process of psychosis what you might end up having then is a very strong balance between a kind of sci-fi horror and a sci-fi thriller inflected with western kind of tropes so you what you might end up having is much like the stephen burkoff character who goes berserk and takes a prostitute hostage individuals in the film workers in the film suddenly killing each other um unthinkingly attacking other members of the complex and so on and so forth that would be, I mean, it's a different film, but that might be a bit more, and uh, then it would have to have been done well, don't get me wrong, it would need to be well directed, it would have to have pace to it, that the, the set pieces would need to be effective, but it would have been exciting. Yeah. yeah it would necessarily have been exciting. Um, well, I, I, I want it, so, I mean, I, 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 I think for me, there's a, there's a balance in the film, which I think is lost a little bit, in that um, the, the lack of edge, the lack of threat, really undermines any kind of significant tension which is a shame because i think that the way that the film is put together and some of the characters in the film connery and lazarus particularly are very good yeah yeah you know there's there's a there's a fantastically it's clear that the film was put together with a great deal of love and effort and focus um, but it was all directed to the sets, the set design, the special effects, the way that the, the way that it looks and feels, which is really impressive. Yeah, it, it's it's an yeah, it's a good set, it's a good realization, but it's it's yeah, to what end have you dressed all this up? Um, I was going to say in terms of, uh, no, I've lost my thought. I'll cut that out. <laughs> so the, the, the I mean, <coughs> I wanted to talk about the, the the hired goons at the end as well because. Yeah. 
I think part of the part of the kind of lack of threat in the film, I think, really is exemplified by these goons who are described as the company's best men. You know, they basically Shepard has asked for two of the best hitmen uh, that the company has to take out O'Neill. So they send these two people and they come off the transit ship, the, the, the shipment. And effectively, right in front of a CCTV camera, <laughs> they start loading up their rifles. They go in a different direction to the other people. So it's really obvious that it's them. Yeah. Yeah. I so that too, immediately, they're... immediately there's jeopardy because if they had kept the, the identity of the goons from us, we wouldn't know who was a goodie and who was a baddie or who was just ambivalent to the process. But they gave it away immediately. Yeah, and if you have some very innocuous... It's totally non-effective. Non so, you know, they've one of the guys shoots in a high-pressure lock. I mean, you know what? You know, <laughs> surely you know not to do that. Yeah. And again, you're right, they... they they're both, you know, they're both like they're ex-military types. They, you know, they, um, they, they look like you'd imagine hitmen goons to be. But yeah. if you know one of them, you know, they, they could have gone any gender, age, whatever, and really hidden them amongst the populace because there's regular people coming on the shuttle too. Oh, um, definitely. Yeah, but it also, like, yeah, I think I was thinking, so the point I'm missing was that in the the other language of the film, again, the, the the shuttle countdown is used very effectively, but the only time it's really called in is when it happens. Had it been yeah. used previously so we knew oh this is what happens when a shuttle arrives and all of a sudden yes. it becomes sinister yeah. it would have meant so much more but it literally is the bad guys are coming and all of a sudden we get a close-up on this 60 hours counting down yeah so what uh, yeah completely agree what might have been good is at the start of the film I, mean, I appreciate that they wanted to have that kind of um that kind of explosive scene right at the start yeah. but what would have been equally effective is a, a transit shipment docking yeah and uh a load of people getting off with maybe, a, a, you know, actually see at the time a shipment of this unusual red liquid which is being used. Yeah. So that we get a sense of, oh, okay. But it also puts it's, us in, yeah, it also gives us not only the, again, the countdown which gives us, which the big sinister, yeah. it gives us the, the, um, the setting of what happens when a shuttle docks and people get out. So all of a yeah. sudden when it happens later on and there's peril in it, we can, again, reassess what's happening here. We can look at where it's supposed to go. Yeah. We can see what O'Neill has to do to single out the, again, we're rewriting the film again, but I think the point is yeah. there's, there was space in there to do more space. There was a room in there to do more than than it does because it does become a very standard. He faces down the two goons, they shoot each other a bit, he outwits them, yeah. and they're dead. And it's, it's and in fact, it's, it's so perfunctory. They have to bring in Sergeant Ballard, the traitor, at the th as the third guy doing it because just to add a bit more to it because yeah. they, they're dealt with so easily and so again so routinely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what, what, were there things specifically that you liked about the film? Uh, yeah, again, the um, the the industrial aesthetic, like mm. we mentioned, very good. I think uh, that you've hit the nail on the head there. That's what I should have called it, the industrial aesthetic. That's what it is. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's and it felt again. I guess if I turn my brain off, I'd know they were miniatures. But they, yeah. you know, the fact they were real in some sense made them real. Um, yeah. The fact that, again, I. I couldn't tell you how big the, the set was, but I bet it wasn't as big as I thought it was because it felt huge and sprawling. Um, I probably would have liked to have a better sense of geography around it because it was just mm. vaguely tracking it. You couldn't quite tell, you know, where was living quarters and where was, um, you know, sleeping quarters and this kind of stuff. Yeah. But it, it was nonetheless enormous. Um, like I say, very good characters in it. Um, okay, Lazarus, I probably, again, Sean Connery has a very powerful central performance again as most as you'd expect Lazarus the one that kind of surprised me because that was a very unusual and 
engaging role and i think yeah. The, yeah the way it was written and again because his other kind of ally was sergeant monton which was very standard he's basically the nice um lieutenant that, that yeah. basically answers his questions and, and fills in his blanks but lazarus was firstly some a and also a professional you know someone who has knowledge that he doesn't have access to he's not just the subordinate sergeant no. um, she's she knows things that he doesn't um she's able to help him in ways he can't yeah. and she also is the only one who stands up and believes in him um, yeah, and that was very good I thought that's actually one of the, the most unusual, unusual things of the movie yeah. um, well, what I would say about the film though is is I think it's ripe for a remake um, if it can if, if it could kind of iron out some of those um, kind of structural issues and some of the pacing issues of the film that I think yeah. it has adds, and, and add a bit of kind of edge with some more kind of modern techniques of filmmaking and, and special effects it's got a lot of potential yeah i can see that you know? it's yes. not i suppose for me I, I feel like we're being a bit down on it it's not a terrible film no, whilst no, i was watching it i was entertained yeah i think just at the end of it i was a bit disappointed yeah no i think we've been we've been very fed with it. again the first half of, the, of looking at it i think we we've we've it about how it was looks and how it was made and again there's good stuff in there there is just maybe not enough for it to be. Maybe that's why it didn't hit the mark. I suppose. I think it's a it's a it's a phrase. We, I probably didn't hit the mark again for several reasons. Um, firstly, it's it's very visually similar to Alien, and it's nowhere as good as Alien. That's that's yeah. almost the Harry Edison's versus ET thing. If yeah. you're if you're referencing something that's really good that closely, and you're not close close enough to it um, you, you'd you better you'll be. suffer by comparison yeah. yeah or you've got to do something slightly different yeah um i guess the other thing is okay well if we look at his career sean connery had yet to find his well this is sort of pre-name of the rose untouchables he had almost mm. not quite settled into his age bracket yet um, no. and so it's he was exactly, still an action hero here although yeah. he was actually an action hero well into the 90s yes but it's, it's still that like kind of like robin and marion um yes. phase when he was yeah. trying to get interesting roles and yeah. they are interesting but in terms of a cinema going public it's not kind of like the sean connery film you'd go and see um oh, so so there's that um I think also, again, you can't get away. It was made in 1981, and if you had a ticket to go see M- M- Return of the Jedi or this, and someone mm. said, it's a space film. Um, yeah. I know that they're obviously very different genres now, and you, again, this is much more in the kind of um, alien way, but you'd probably say, well, if I want to see a space film, I want to see Return of the Jedi four times over, rather than this one. Unless you're me. Unless you're I you. probably don't see Outland. <laughs> <laughs> but, again, here's the other thing. It does remind me um, of um, Master and Commander when that came out. It oh was, yeah. The expectation okay. was, and I think it was, it was almost advertised rather unwisely as this. This is going to be like Gladiator at Sea. It's going yes. to be Russell Crowe yeah. kicking ass, you know, boarding ships and blowing people up with his cutlass. And it wasn't that at all. It was a very almost um, discreet character piece between two two actors. And you know what? It was really good. It was really good. Yeah. And it, it was and, a crackingly underrated film, actually. Yeah. Well, we get a crumbies to follow. But no, no I, I, it, again, it was it was a brilliant film, but absolutely not what it was billed as or it was trying to sell you as. Yeah. And if, if it's the same with this if you think i'm going to see a space western with sean connery especially in the 80s um you probably wouldn't have gone on expecting this kind of film and you'd have left feeling a bit you know wrong-footed well, i mean I, I i might go even further Hugh, and say if you if you were pitching the idea of a space western in the early 80s i don't think the western was a genre at the time that had any kudos going on about it well no the director himself said he wanted to make a western and the closest he could get to was space oh really yeah really? This, this is his, and, his western and that doesn't surprise me because the western at the time was in a real fuck wasn't yeah, it? it yeah. you know there was there was no real westerns being made 
I mean, it still is. It pops up every now and again. Everyone says, "Oh, the westerns back," but it's it's you know, it, it's almost again. This is a whole different conversation. If you want to look at westerns, it was like superhero films are the the new westerns. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it's so yeah, it was not a, a, a great genre to do. And the guy really wanted to do a genre. And once you can tell that from the Levy invests in the high noon bit, he yeah, really yeah. wanted to do that high noon bit. Um, but I think the, the we said this for other films and Weekend at Crombies, almost why they are Weekend at Crombies films is I think it's less than the sum of its parts. Yeah, I, I agree um, with you. It, it, yeah, has, it has a lot going exactly on there, it, but it yeah. can, doesn't come together so well. Ah, oh, totally. I, I completely agree. I think that's absolutely right. It is it's got so much going for it. All of the component parts in it are really good ideas really good um kind of production really good actors and yet all of it as a whole is is a little bit meh yeah which is unfortunate well there we are there we are uh we let's look at other films this is this is a point where you ask me are there any other films you'd watch and i'm going to be a bit stuck because to be frank outland is the other film i would suggest watching <laughs> like if you've seen alien i'd say if you've seen outland or if you've seen again yeah, some yeah. um you know, other other movies like that you say we should we should watch outland that's kind of thing i i'm struggling to think of films like outland that are less well known than it that you recommend no that's true i mean the, the, i don't think there are any the only, uh, the only one that popped into my head it's not it's not less well known but it would be something like total recall which yeah. is but but the the difference actually you know you know what i was describing earlier about the uh, what what it could what, what outland could have been was a satire of kind of corporate yeah. um that is actually total recall yeah yeah and and that's why total recall is a great film yeah um because it, it, I think Total Recall probably does all the things that Outland should do, but um, but didn't, and so therefore Total Recall is is in the space that Outland should have kind of taken up in the about nine nine or ten years earlier. Interesting, yeah, yeah. Because um, you know, I'm just thinking about Total Recall. You've got the mining community in Mars. You've got the the fact of the kind of commodification of air. Yes. Um, you've got that kind of like grubby industrial aesthetic. You've got. Um, You've got, I mean, there's a real threat in in, in uh, Total Recall with with uh, kind of like a terrorist kind of faction. There's 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 goons. You know, it's it is basically <laughs> there's lots of transit stuff that goes on in it as well. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. We want to go and watch Total Recall actually. <laughs> <laughs> I will say again, in Outland's defence, it, it has that much. It it is feels darker and grubby and more real. It than does. Recall. Yeah. Total Recall it's, it's, it has it's that a, kind of a, cartoony, yeah. dreamlike feel. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't but, describe Outland as an action adventure film, and I would describe Total Recall as an action adventure film. Outland is a. It, it is a grimmer, more introspective piece. Yeah, yeah. I think, <laughs> which is a shame because again, that should make it really interesting. Yeah. But again, it's the less than, less than the sum of its parts. Indeed. Okay. So, having done that, are we now ready to give it our scores? I think we are here. Join us after the ding dong when we shall rate it <laughs> and <laughs> and find out uh, find out what we're doing next with a twist. Ooh, heck. Welcome back as uh, we sail for the twelfth time this year into the mm. final part of Weekend at Crombies. We will give our coveted floating Crombie heads to Weekend at Crombies, and as tradition dictates, um, so that the result cannot be skewed, the person who chose the film goes first. Although, as we do know, that uh, there will be no score better than the one already achieved this year, but that's for a later show. Oh, um, indeed. So, having now thoroughly muddied the waters, James, what are the scores? <laughs> so, um, Outland is a film that um, I had 
despite knowing nothing about actually so i don't know what i'm going to say now but despite <laughs> knowing nothing about and despite never having heard about it before when i read the synopsis of it saw that sean connery was in it thought i bet this is going to be really good um watched it and although there are bits in it there are things about it that um are interesting and you know i would recommend it actually to people if they're interested in that kind of early 80s shtick and science fiction kind of um feel for as Hugh has mentioned industrial aesthetic which i think is quite i like that look um it is ultimately a disappointment it is as as Hugh again has said less than the sum of its parts um and doesn't really go anywhere the biggest criticism i have of the film is that there just isn't any threat and in a film that's set where it's set i think that's a real crime so as a consequence of that i'm going to give outland two disembodied crombie heads two disembodied crombie heads from james mm. okay that's it yeah and Hugh, what about you mine um it's tricky yeah i i think we 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 see eye to eye on the film i I did see it, watch it twice and enjoyed the second one better. So I think once mm. my expectations have been set, I, I, I got into it more. Mm. Um, I think yeah, all the structural problems are there and that's the reason why it's not working. Um, I think I'm going to be a bit more generous. It's Christmas. Ooh. I'm going to give it three floating crumbies oh, because it's, yeah, it's... <laughs> I, if three, if you like that kind of film, one, one yeah. of the crux of it. I know I, what you I, mean. Yeah. I didn't watch it with Mrs. Morgan, and uh, and she would have enjoyed a space western, but not this one. Um, and I think that's. I mean, how many so, are there? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's uh, Serenity. Serenity's a good space western. Oh yeah, um, that's a good point. That's one of the. That's a film. A film you could have watched. That's a film you could have watched. That's clear. Yeah, kind of an industrial future one too. Um, so I think three because it's if you're into that kind of stuff if you, you know if you're, if you're thirsty for that kind of film there's not many out there and it's worth a watch it's yeah. worth a watch for the performances that come there it's worth a watch because it does spark the ideas you know that, that with has been sparked yeah, um, I agree. and it's not a terrible film it's not unenjoyable to watch um, you might leave a bit disappointed but yeah I'll give it three why not okay. three cool. footing well, heads. well there we are there we uh, are so that's five overall between yes. the two of us and now as tradition dictates we find out what we're watching next but as a uh, a Christmas gift for you James I am going to allow you to choose oh. the January film so that uh, you you did mention previously that you felt you had been short shifted by um, being stuck in a seasonal rut so now you get to have well the... yeah, I should add that's not strictly true that's not strictly I'm I, lying now I had Sorry. said previously <laughs> I didn't think it was fair that, that Hugh should miss out on both the Halloween and the Christmas choices. That was true. So that's what you eternity. said. Eternity. Yes. Uh, and so what we're doing is... We're Although, as you do know, I have no respecter of seasons, so I will pick whatever <laughs> film. I'll pick a Christmas yeah. one in June if I want. I said that I, we would flip it round, and yeah. I will do the first one of January. And as tradition befits, it will be a seasonal film Ooh. of Bonhomme and Christmas chit No, it won't. <laughs> I thought the film was called. I thought the film was being called Bon Homme just then. I was about to Google it. So, uh, the film for January is going to be The Secret of My Success. (gasps) The Secret of My Success. (laughs) Oh my goodness! Santa came early. (laughs) Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox and Helen Slater in The Secret of My Success. If I may. Oh yeah. (laughs) Okay. 
<laughs> I, I, I thought you'd like that one. I, I, oh, it's going to be a happy Christmas. <laughs> good. Good. Well, that's good. That, I think I've made you that. It, yeah. it was either going to be that or The Exorcist 3. No, really. <laughs> Marvelous. Okay, well, with that then, um, I will, uh, I will yeah, eagerly await uh, our January thing as I, as I, as season three to open season three. Season three, yeah, the what secret of my season three opener. Um, <laughs> uh, you realise this again? I don't want to get into analysis. That's the second, the secret of films we've looked at. The secret of Nim, of course, of being Nim. the first. I'm now going to have to find another film that starts with the secret of just to complete the trilogy. Yeah. There's one called this. Oh, there's one, the secret in my eyes, but that's, well, that's different. That's not, that's not the secret of, then, is it? Secret no. of, yeah. Hmm, interesting. Well, maybe maybe the theme of uh, season three will be titles of the film. Weekend at Combis brackets open the secret of dot 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 brackets closed. The secret garden. We could have the other secret garden. <laughs> the secret of my Secrets garden. Secrets and lies by Mike Lee. This is, we could do a whole the whole secret season. The secret season. Well, I don't, it's I don't, not. I don't want to do the secret season. I don't want to watch the <laughs> no. secret garden twice, and I don't want to watch Secrets and Lies ever again. <laughs> yeah. Right, well... With that, with that, yeah. we'll wish you all... Well, actually, we'll wish you all a Merry Christmas, but mm. hold on to your festive cheer. What? Because, what? Yeah, because there's always the uh, the addendum. So we have 12 episodes a season and an addendum. We will be holding our annual New Year's Eve party where we will be looking back over the 12 films we've looked at this year um, mm. to see... Well, James is going to be crunching the numbers. I'll be crunching um, them. For he is a doctor, uh, and he yeah. will be—he'll uh, be telling us what we've learnt and, uh, and reminiscing. It'll be a shorter episode, but there will be mulled wine. There will be quite a lot of it, and of course, what we will be doing is, um, we'll have to make sure that the the ladies of the house are entertained as, uh, during the party downstairs, whilst we slip away for um, half an hour or so to record the the session. Indeed, <laughs> sounded very. Where's that leading? <laughs> <laughs> what are you planning to do to keep the ladies of the house entertained? The ladies of the house will have to be entertained for half an hour whilst we slip away and uh, record the, the podcast. I mean, that, that's not a sentence I'm no, associated I with. Oh, I feel really <laughs> sordid now, and I didn't even mean to be. And on that note, that, oh. that, that, that note that God, they no, are we can't leave Christmas on that note. <laughs> okay. um, Let's sing, the, sing a song. I don't know. <laughs> what about God rest ye merry gentlemen? <laughs> Very good. Sing a song of sixpence. Oh, I should I should add as well that um, 2020 will bring more Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> oh, damn you, sir! <laughs> I will. I've already chosen my six films. You see. See, James is so organised. He's chosen his six films. That's why he's the uh, the um, the educated man, and I'm just flying by the seat of my threadbare pants. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> And on Threadbare Pants, we wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a very Merry Weekend at Crombies. Good evening, all. Weekend at Crombies. I needed to turn the light off because I'm sat right underneath a light. And it was kind of blaring in the eyes a little bit. getting a bit stressed, so I've just got, I had to go and turn it off. Very good. Which I've done now. Excellent. All it was actually making me hot. That's, <laughs> how, that's how bright know. it was. I don't need to know that. No, well, true, you don't. <laughs>